Welcome to Season 6, Episode 7 of Digital Learning Radio. I'm Misty Trevino, and I'm with my teammate, Katherine Laster. In this season, we are focusing on caring enough to step in for equity, care enough to spend some time in self-work, care enough to get to know your students for who they are, care enough to consider that your efforts toward equity matter. This week on the show, we are talking with Jeremy Jewett. Jeremy works as a specialist in Richardson ISD's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Department with my former colleague, Angie Lee, who is also the director of this fairly new department. Angie could not be here today, but we are so happy to have you share the amazing work you and Angie are doing. In today's episode, we want to step in with Jeremy to talk about the impact of culturally responsive teaching and the work Richardson ISD is doing to bridge equity gaps. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you all for having me. Well, Jeremy, it is so good to see you. Yes, it's good to see you too. And we'd love to start by having you share a little bit of your educational journey. So tell us your story. Oh, awesome. Well, I, my journey starts, I'll put it like this. I say my journey towards responsiveness. And so that's when I first recognized that not all students were educated equally was my first year of teaching. And that was in 2011 in Coldwater, Mississippi. Um, So I was a brand new teacher, um, just very green. And I was teaching at a high, really at a three through 12 campus. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of resources. Um, I was next door to a third grade room. You know, I I was teaching chemistry. And so, you know, that meant I was buying dish soap and (laughs) baking soda. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just, yeah, it was just buying whatever I could in order to do some labs. And I, we had a district-wide day and we went to a different campus uh, on the other side of town and it was completely different. Like Mm -hmm. it looked like I stepped into a, a totally different world. Um, with labs that were very nice and full of resources, just just a brand new building that I later found out was built. Um, and it basically cost the district to run out of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it being built really segregated that district. And as a result, um, that school was without a superintendent. It was without a, a school board. It was taken over by the state. And that was my first real introduction to education period. But it was my first real introduction into that inequity that exists. Mm. Um, And so that has been the foundation of my career ever since. Um, In 2014, after I graduated from grad school in Mississippi, um, I moved to Texas and I taught biology at Lake Highlands High School. And so that's how I met Mm -hmm. Catherine. And um, I really loved it there. And so I taught there for, I believe, about four or five years. And then later, I moved to West Junior High in Richardson, and I was an instructional coach. And this year, the district so graciously decided to expand the budget of the Department of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion and, and created a specialist position. And so that's been my role since this summer. And so I love it. A lot of work that needs to be done. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you have that perfect foundation and you understand Mm -hmm. the needs and you are um, ready to move the district forward and then learn, have others learn from you as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful to have seen so many different perspectives and so many different types of classrooms and schools and teaching from different angles 
in the classroom and outside of it. Um, and so I think that really informs my work that I do now mm-hmm. and that lens that I bring to the table because being a teacher and being a coach, you really see what happens. And, you know, whatever whatever happens or whatever policy or whatever thing that is pushed by the district, at the end of the day, what really, really matters is what happens in our classrooms. And I think, you know, having all of those different diverse experiences mm-hmm. allows me to really have that lens every single time we have a conversation about equity in our in our district and what's the best way to move forward. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us about this plan. We have heard all about Richardson's newly adopted equity, diversity, and inclusion policy. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh, awesome. So in a nutshell, um, policy, a few years ago, actually, just before I I say anything about that, you know, one thing that we've realized with doing equity work is it's important to be to be honest about your past and your history. And, and if we are going to, you know, have true healing and reconciliation, you have to be honest. And so that's something that our superintendent, Dr. Um, Jeannie Stone, is really transparent about is what are the events that kind of precipitated this? And so a few years ago, there were some memes that were pretty racist that were kind of put on social media at one of our high schools in regards to another one of our high schools. And, you know, I think at first the district kind of, you know, did the rapid response and, you know, tried to, you know, just clean that up. But with just our our superintendent having a lot of good conversations with community members and staff members, uh, she really saw the importance of us really looking deeper and, you know, how do we prevent these things from happening? And so after that and after, you know, a, a huge strategic plan that had an aspect of it that focused on equity, one of the things that were the result of that whole process was an equity, diversity, and inclusion policy. And just in a nutshell, that policy is all-encompassing. It, it focuses on every single person our district touches, whether it's students, whether it's staff members, everyone. And so it's all about you know affirming all of our student and staff identities, but it's also very specific and it talks about traditions that may be exclusive or that may um, traditionally, you know, limit students. It talks about the importance of even things like providing transportation for different things. Like it's just, it's very all-encompassing. And we had an we have an equity council um, that's composed of a lot of different stakeholders from throughout our district and our community. And they took a year researching other um, equity policies across the country, and they really labored through what that should look like in our district. I know a lot of local districts have focused more specifically on like racial equity, Mm -hmm. but one thing that we really made adamant and one thing that we really were really intentional about is making sure that our equity policy focuses on all of those different aspects of people in our district, of students, of staff, um, because all of those things impact, you know, how you feel and who you are Mm -hmm. when you're in our district. Um, and so from hiring practices to um, student events to, to classroom culture, that equity policy is there to make sure that all truly means all in our mm-hmm. district. And so just from now on, what we're doing as a department, but also as the, the Equity Council is also doing, is now taking a closer look at other established policies in our district just to make sure that it aligns with the wording and the spirit of this policy as well. 
Um, so that means going back and, and rewriting some things if necessary. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, and as somebody who works for an organization that works with Richardson, I appreciate the honesty and the transparency. And, you know, we were aware of the kind of how the, the policy came about, and we weren't sure if we should ask the question of how it came about. So definitely can appreciate that honesty. Well, and then we're going to have one of the former Richardson board members on in a couple of episodes so we can hear oh, more yes. depth about mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and through that honesty, we get to learn. Yeah. You know, when you hide when you hide the honest piece, you you can't learn the full truth. You can't learn from those experiences if we're if we're going to hide something. So, and something that like even in our trainings that we do at the very beginning, we talk about how it's important if you do feel offended or defensive to understand that that's okay. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of that work takes place. And it's very hard for us at first, it was very hard for us to really kind of accept that and talk about, mm -hmm. you know, some of the precipitating events that kind of led to this journey that we're on. But now we do it so much that we've learned so much from it and it's something that forms a lot of what we do and so we just you know and that's something that's the result of the leadership of, of our, our superintendent who was very um, just just very transparent about that um, and spent a good sex, section of her um, convocation talk just focusing just on that and talking about how that made her feel and what she didn't know, but also how that made members of, of, of our community and our staff feel mm -hmm. as well. And and so that's that's the journey that we're on. And, and, you know, now we're a year really, really deep into it. And so we're excited. Okay, so a quick question on behalf of one of our guests from a few episodes ago. Okay. So Kevin Moore was from a district that they did have a policy that accepted all identities. And so, especially from the LGBTQ perspective, so does Richardson include that? Absolutely. Richardson includes um, sexuality, gender, um, just affirming the identities of all of our students and our staff, that no matter who you are, where you come from, when you walk into the door in, in a Richardson ISD building, you're going to be affirmed um, and you are going to be validated. And so that's that's something that is, is key for us. That's something that we put into um, the policy directly. It's Speaking on, for instance, racial identity is something that's been a part of the public discourse in our country for decades. That's something that when you come to, say, an equity presentation, you expect to hear something about race, right? However, sexuality and gender, these are things that have always been there, but are now in recent years much more a part of the public discourse. And so as a result, they make people a little antsy sometimes to talk about more so than race for us um, in, our, in our sessions. And so, but we're here and we're ready to have those conversations. And so that's something that we wanted to explicitly put in the policy so that every student that comes to our district, every student that comes to our class is there. And, you know, this also, um, you know, empowers our teachers as well. Recently, we got an email from another teacher about, actually really from a parent, expressing how some students were saying some kind of derogatory remarks, you know, in class um, in regards to sexuality. And her child heard it and, and was just very kind of upset by it. And, um, and the parent talked about how that teacher immediately stopped class and, and addressed it and talked about that it's important that we're nice and we honor 
all the different identities of our students and and really turned that into a teachable moment. And that parent talked about how that made her proud to have a child in our district and how she already sees the effect of the equity policy. And so we're hoping that this policy, you know, and, and we're working for this policy to not just be something that's just sitting on a shelf somewhere, but it's something that's really informing the work that we're doing and empowering us to, to make those changes. So, yeah. And that goes back to what you said a few minutes ago about the more you talk about it, the easier it becomes. Definitely. And we had a conversation this morning about how when we started this equity podcast, we were a little bit nervous because things can just be turned a million different ways and sometimes be taken out of context. But the more we've talked about this, the more I feel comfortable. And I think my biggest takeaway is before we started, if I saw something on Twitter that I agreed with, I was not sure that it was okay for me to like it or to retweet it. And now I feel very comfortable speaking about things and re-liking and retweeting and actually taking action. And I've talked about it so much to my family and friends. Now I feel like they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. talking about it. And I told Catherine this morning that my husband sent me something that's very relevant in the news. And I'm like, he would have never sent that to me if we hadn't had these conversations about this. And so mm-hmm. truly, the more you talk about it, the easier it gets. Our self-work is paying off. Yes. So. Because yes. it's out there, like it's right. there. And stuff like that impacts our students. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so we can either kind of tiptoe around it and ignore it, or we can be upfront and open to talk about it. And we understand that everyone is not at the same point in this journey. And we understand that a lot of us have these conversations daily and and regularly Mm -hmm. with our family, with our friends, and not everyone else does. But we want to make sure that our district is a community where it's okay to feel uncomfortable or to feel a little defended or offensive, but understanding that if you are feeling that way, then that's potentially an area of, of, of growth. Mm-hmm. And so something um, that I heard somewhere is, you know, if it doesn't challenge you, then it won't change you. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we really, really take to heart. And our department, me and Angie Lee, we we are by no means experts, mm-hmm. but one thing that we really, really, as a department, that we really, really kind of stress and we do is we have those hard conversations mm-hmm. with us. Um, and so we are always in constant dialogue about a lot of those issues that affect our students, that affect our staff, that's affecting our area and our country, mm-hmm. um, because that's where the work is, is, is kind of moving around in that discomfort mm-hmm. and so that it lightens up over time. And it does. It really does. And so, yeah. That's awesome. So equity is a huge topic, as we've learned in preparing for this podcast and doing self-work. And your department has been very busy educating teachers on the importance of culturally responsive teaching. So a couple questions. First, can you define culturally responsive teaching? So in in the, the research, in the, in the scholarship, there's a lot of different definitions of culturally responsive teaching. Um, and last year, I was fortunate to lead a subcommittee on culturally responsive teaching. And there are two definitions that our subcommittee kind of settled around that we really wanted to base our work in. Uh, One of the definitions comes from um, Geneva Gay, who's a a scholar in in culturally responsive teaching. And her definition talks about teaching to and through the strengths of students who are diverse culturally, linguistically, and ethnically. Um, And so we love that teaching to and through those students and what that really means. And, and another scholar that we really focused on, even probably more on, 
um, and he was actually in our district last week. We're really excited about that, is Dr. Shiroke Holly out of California. And his definition revolves around validating and affirming the home or indigenous culture of students and using that to build and bridge them towards success, whether it's academically, whether it's, you know, in life, whether it's in whatever path that they choose. And so we really love that validating and affirming because that kind of speaks to some deeper things. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to not only knowing and understanding what culture is, but recognizing that uh, some of the, the cultures that are a part of our students are not traditionally validated and affirming. Mm-hmm. They aren't necessarily negative. They aren't bad. But because of the world that we're in, they're not things that are, they're not cultures that are the norm. Mm-hmm. Or they may be cultures that are in direct conflict with what is school culture. And so if you're going to be culturally responsive, it's important for us to be aware of those cultural differences and to validate and affirm those cultures and traditions and use those different cultural aspects to help build and bridge and and, and create learning in Mm -hmm. your classroom. And so we really love both of those definitions. And um, those were the kind of the ones that we've been kind of diving into. As a result of that subcommittee, one of the things that we were tasked with doing was, quote unquote, auditing the district's curriculum for culturally responsiveness. Well, the district's curriculum is very huge. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's, you know, now it's pre-K through 12, Mm -hmm. all different subject areas. And it was just a a group of eight or nine of us um, (laughs) with jobs as well, you know. And so, We definitely couldn't go piece by piece through curriculum, but also we understand that curriculum is something that's dynamic, that's changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are new standards that are always being created, you know, every 10 years or so, Mm -hmm. new textbooks, um, new teachers, new, you know, it's just new, all things are always kind of changing. And so we wanted to create a tool, an auditing tool, um, really to inform teachers on what culturally responsiveness is and to empower teachers to look at their own curriculum, look at their own teaching, look at their own um, lesson design, and to inform them and empower them to to make sure that their own teaching is culturally responsive. And so that's kind of where we've been. And our subcommittee is, is still working on that. That's something that's still in beta. But later this fall, as well as throughout the spring, we'll have some specific training for our teachers and staff on culturally responsive teaching and, and that framework tool and providing different opportunities for teachers to really get a feel for that. But, you know, one thing that we um, we really are looking into and and wanting to stress is that culturally responsive teaching isn't just about content. It's not just about, it is about providing those diverse learning experiences for students and providing those windows and mirrors for for students to not only see themselves reflected in their lessons and in their work, but to also get a view into other cultures, but it's also in how we teach and that pedagogy. And Mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that our framework tool includes both the content and the how and the pedagogy. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, and that's something that on our journey now for this is how can we implement this in our professional development sessions? Mm -hmm. Even with digital learning, how can we make sure that these are um, culturally relevant for our adult learners? Yes. So that's that's what we're working on. Mm -hmm. And it's not just what you're teaching, but how you're teaching it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and a part of that, and then that's why all of the professional development that we 
do this year, we're focusing on bias because that informs how we teach, mm -hmm. but that informs what we teach as well and what we feel is important and who we feel is important to receive it as well. And so that's been a big aspect of a lot of the professional learning that we've been doing this year. So Jeremy, we've talked about all the um, all these different equity topics, but we have not yet talked about the importance of recognizing religious beliefs. So how is religion addressed in your equity policy or the vision of equity? So it's definitely uh, recognized in our, um, our equity policy. We view religion as another one of those aspects or our markers of identity. And it's a, a, a definitely a part of our, our staff and our students. And so while as a district we don't promote specific religions, we want to make sure that in our systemic policies, um, in our, for instance, our, our district calendars, our school calendars, that they don't directly conflict with religious holidays, with you know certain religious practices, just so that we're still honoring and affirming all of our students, no matter their religious background, so yeah. What has been the overall response to RISD's vision of equity? And if there's been resistance, how has your department handled that? Well, we, you know, so this year, something that's new and that's something that we've been really excited about is we now, in our district, there is now a two hour professional learning requirement for all staff for cultural competence. And so that puts us in front of the majority of people in our district. And I'll say that so far, our reception at our trainings have been pretty receptive and pretty positive. Um, we feel that our teachers are excited about this work and we feel that they understand and they know that it's something that it's important. Um, just to speak to uh, where, I don't know if it's necessarily resistance, but where there's some hesitation is, you know, teachers may feel like they're un, you know, they're unaware if they're going to be backed if they're really mm -hmm. truly being inclusive in their class. And so that's something that having now a stated and a, a, a printed policy for equity, diversity, and inclusion at every campus is something that's empowering them, and we're hearing from them, and, and they're talking about how they're using that to feel empowered to address those inequities that they may see in their classroom. And so overall, it's been pretty positive. And you know, with every new policy, it can be a policy on, you know, painting structures in our district. There are gonna be people who disagree. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that, and that's why it's important uh, for everyone to see our district leadership so invested in this mm -hmm. work and so that's been something that has really provided things to continue to be calm and to go forward and so that's also something you know this year like I mentioned before our professional learn professional learning is kind of we're centering a lot of it around bias mm -hmm. and in the act of de-biasing and the thing that's important about that is to remember is that we all have those biases and that, that may not necessarily be racial it may be other aspects of identity things that are things that are built into society that we've just been exposed to all of our lives how we were raised and so I feel like that has allowed for us to have that conversation that's universal mm -hmm. so people who are resistant or people who are hesitant it's really they can't help but to be receptive to that conversation mm -hmm. um, and, and being aware that those biases 
affect our kids. They affect our students. And they affect how our students view themselves. And so something that we always speak to teachers about is, yes, we want to be reflective and we want to address our own biases, but we also have to be aware that we're influencing future biases for our students as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that our teachers have been really, really, really receptive to. And so, so far we've been really fortunate, Um, but you know, we're just beginning on this journey. And so again, it's important and we're very excited to have so much support from our district leadership from this equity policy and moving forward, yeah. I think that's been um, the getting comfortable with being Mm -hmm. uncomfortable has been one of our norms during this series. And it sounds like the same thing with the teachers and the district. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So we talked about we talked a little bit about how you have addressed teacher support and trainings you've done and just some titles of professional learning are the danger of a single story. You also have an America to Me documentary screening, a culturally responsive teaching with the EL in mind, um, and several other trainings. But in addition to professional learning for teachers, you also address the needs of a student. And for the past two years, Richardson has hosted the Young Leader Strong City Teen Summit, targeting over 200 ninth through 12th grade students who joined a team of national and local justice advocacy leaders, teachers, and artists to engage in a full day of pivotal dialogue and inquiry about racial justice and equity. Can you tell us a little bit about this and how it has impacted students in Richardson? Awesome. One thing we feel, like I said earlier, one thing that's important is acknowledging our history and our past. Another thing that's important for us is to empower our students. And so, you know, traditionally, when whenever think of equity or if you Google equity right now and you hit Google images, one of the first images that you're going to see is that picture of those kids behind mm-hmm. that fence, oh, yes. um, you know, <laughs> of that baseball game mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. equality versus equity. Mm-hmm. And so, and it talks about equity is providing really in that picture is kind of showing, you know, providing what each individual child needs. But when it comes to empowering students, how do we get students beyond that fence and into that game? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we wanted to make sure that we have, we're providing programming and opportunities for our students to feel empowered as well. And so a couple of years ago, um, we partnered with Young Leaders Strong City, which is a local organization that's doing this equity work throughout the, the Dallas 4-4 Metroplex and providing like a teen summit for students. Mm-hmm. And so, like you mentioned, we had about 50 to 60 students from each of our four high schools. And these students from each of the high schools were very, very diverse. Um, so a good diverse mixture of different students who all came and they had a summit that was just for them. Mm-hmm. So they had sessions that they can choose from that range from colorism, that range from sexuality, that range from, you know, speaking about, you know, indigenous people and speaking about just all sorts of different topics. And it just it just it was just really eye opening for us because seeing students be empowered and, and speaking up and saying something about the things that they're seeing in their, in, in their schools, in their classrooms, in their communities, it really informed a lot of the work that we're now doing this year as well. And so that's something that we really feel is important. How do we now empower students? Uh, one thing that kind of came out of that Teen Equity Summit 
uh, which this year we're excited. We're going to have our third annual one as well. Um, so you all are welcome to come oh, out. Oh, yes. yes. Um, so one thing that we're really excited about that came as a result of the Teen Equity Summit was students really wanted to learn more about their history. And they often spoke about how in school, you know, they feel that they don't really know who they are. Mm-hmm. They don't really know. Um, they don't really get a chance to really dive into their own identities. And so um, as a result of that, this year at Berkner High School, we're piloting a Black History course mm-hmm. uh, for the first time. And, and next year, we're looking to pilot um, a Mexican-American history course mm-hmm. at another high school. And we're just looking for more opportunities for students to learn more about their own specific history and culture. And so that's something that we're really excited about. And so we really take to heart what they say, mm-hmm. you know, and if you attended those like they they will let us know like so, it was yeah so i the first year uh, before before you were hired so angie was the director but she didn't have any staff yeah, you know yeah. there was no specialist and so she formed a committee and i was very lucky to take part in that and so i got to attend the first year of the the summit and there was different sessions and i remember the session stood out because it was the session title was becky with a good hair yeah, yeah and so yeah. i'm like oh that's interesting i want to go and so i went and you know and i'm i'm half mexican half white but i I, I, I think I look white. Most people think I look white, have blonde mm-hmm. hair. And the first thing she did was she Googled what beauty meant. And then she looked at the images and what came up was all white women with blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there there was a diverse group of girls in the audience, but it was, I stood in the back of the room and I felt so uncomfortable, you know, like here's this, you know, white woman with blonde hair and that's what came up. And then the way she explained it was so beautiful and the conversations that came from that, like, like ladies, girls, you do not need to have blonde hair and white skin to be beautiful and right. you know why are why are these images not portrayed when we google the term beautiful but i love the dialogue there was yes. this girl that spoke up and she said one thing i love about being black is that i can wear my hair natural and i love the way it looks natural but if i choose to want to wear it a different way i can and that doesn't mm-hmm. make me any less beautiful and i just thought like the conversations that were happening that awesome. were amazing but afterwards there was a poetry slam yes and oh my goodness and it was like on the fly nobody the kids did not know there was going to be a poetry slam and this girl got up there and i will always remember the poem and it was called the purple woman and it was about a woman that lived above her apartment and she was being beat and it just the the whole the whole scenario and how she relayed those relationships to her dad but i thought how talented are these kids right. and so somebody made the the comment like oh my gosh i didn't know you know i had no idea that these kids had it in them and somebody said how could you not know right how could you not know right. these are kids who have a voice and so part of my job in the equity summit was to monitor the twitter chat and there was a twitter challenge uh-huh. and so we were a little nervous you know like oh goodness what are these kids going to to tweet or re- retweet and they tweeted about race and uh gender and yes. just different things and angie did not she's like yes let it all through yes, you know let yes. it all through it was very respectful it was about uh, police brutality yeah. and i thought what what a great way to send a message. Every message was positive. It not positive. It was it was truthful Real. but respectful. Yeah. Yeah. It was not dis- disrespectful in any way. And I just thought what a great way for students to share their message. Right. And they were allowed to do so. And they did so in a very respectful way. Right. And like I think going forward for us, we now are are 
tasked with now how do we provide those experiences for students every day on their mm-hmm. campuses so they don't kind of feel like they have to save that for that equity summit which is awesome right. which is great every mm-hmm. year but what are we doing and that's where that culturally responsive teaching comes in that's where just providing different extracurricular activities for students one thing that we're looking into doing is to you know the students that do come to the equity summit forming like an organization on their campus Mm -hmm. to empower them to Mm -hmm. to create change on their campus for some of the different issues that um, they've talked about so that's something that's another pathway that we're looking into but that whole experience was was amazing and it's just it's something it's one of the like the the highlights of my whole Mm -hmm. career that day seriously yeah yeah it was it was that empowering Mm -hmm. um and it's just the the talent that is there and you you I don't know. And it's it's there and it's it's our students have it. But again, are we providing opportunities for them to express that regularly? And the answer is no. For I think for the most part and not and I'm not talking about Richardson. I'm just talking about in general, the creativity piece is missing in a lot of today's school you yeah. know oh definitely and you know and you saw like oh let's do a, a an impromptu poetry slam you know and with the creativeness that came out of it right. and some people like like that one girl had her poem memorized yeah some people had written down things that they had just in you know had just carrying around with them on their phones and you know and i'll go further to even say that no like that's something that our students at the summit have said and it's something that we now specifically talk to teachers mm-hmm. about and talk to. One thing that we are also doing is we're we're having um, conversations and we're providing training for our teaching and learning department and our, our district curriculum specialists mm-hmm. um, and, and in the future, our instructional coaches to make sure that we all understand the importance of providing that culturally responsiveness and those opportunities for our students so that they do feel empowered because those students were 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 mastering teaks at the summit exactly and, you know and so that's an opportunity you know so they're learning and they're they're showing evidence of that learning and getting everyone to understand that there are different ways that mm-hmm. students can do that and so that's just feedback that we got directly from students is they want to be able to do this and on their campus mm-hmm. and and do it and feel supported right because oftentimes you know we have different organizations or different events on campuses and students say that they still feel like it's not fully supported it's kind of like you all are that's just your your event or whatever Mm -hmm. but is this really truly a part of the tradition and and, and fabric of our campus Mm -hmm. and so that's the work that we have ahead to do so yeah it was just a really really great experience for all of us yes we'll we'll be there this year Catherine. oh yeah come on yeah yeah sign me up yes definitely Okay, so Jeremy, we've heard that RISD now has a partnership with Dallas Truth Racial Healing and Transformation. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that. So um, our partnership with Dallas TRHT is kind of what we call it for short. Focuses specifically on racial justice and healing. And it's uh, an organization that is doing this work with different organizations throughout the, the Dallas area. And we're lucky. And, you know, this whole process, we I mean, it's something that we our district had to apply for Mm -hmm. it's something that our district had to interview for so our superintendent and um our director angie lee 
uh, were interviewed for this and, you know, were asked some pretty, pretty tough questions mm -hmm. about the work that our district is doing and if we're really serious about going forward. And fortunately, we were accepted into this cohort. And so we're meeting monthly. And the end goal is for us to create a, a plan for addressing racial equity specifically in our district. Um, we're the only school district that is a part of this cohort, so we were kind of excited about that. And so this allows for us to kind of learn from a lot of other different organizations that are doing all sorts of work that's super, super important across the area. And so it's something that we we are really, really super excited about. So every month we um, kind of meet together as a cohort. And from Richardson, we have to have um, our superintendent a, a, as well as a board member. So Jean Bono is the board member mm -hmm. that's a part of our cohort as well. And, and so we are meeting tomorrow and uh, we're being assigned a specific coach to kind of guide us through this whole process. And so again, in the end, the, the goal is for us to create a plan going forward and also being a part of this cohort is going to provide some funding for us as well to implement this mm. as well. So, for instance, at our last session, one of the facilitators, one of the leaders of the program um, gave us a, a really awesome talk on the forgotten history of Dallas. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I'm not natively from Dallas, but I'm from I'm just a couple of hours away. But he, he really, really, it was just very dynamic and, and just very kind of gut-wrenching also, just really talking about a lot of the, the history in this area mm -hmm. that has been forgotten and how, you know, Dallas, unlike a lot of other larger cities who are just much more upfront and open about their past history, mm -hmm. how Dallas has been really kind of evasive about it and kind of quick to kind of brush things to the side and kind of cover it a little bit so that it's not something that's explicitly part of who Dallas is. And so he talked about, just like how we talk in our district, about how it's important to be honest and upfront about that past history. His presentation was really kind of putting that all out in the open. And so after that, we had an opportunity to go on a bus tour around different landmarks in Dallas. Um, for instance, um, Martyr Park mm -hmm. um, downtown, which is a, a site of a, a lynching after some some fires in Dallas, you know, and mm -hmm. and so it, it's right near um, Dealey Plaza. It's kind of just mm -hmm. right along there next to that. And the city this year just finally put up a sign officially marking it as a park. Mm. And so that's something that a lot of local activists have, have really been pushing for for years. We also went to another, it was like a memorial park that is the site of, it's basically a, a mass grave site of mm. thousands of um of, of former enslaved people that wasn't marked or anything. And previously, um, actually, it was unearthed when Dallas was building like the city, undergoing a city line project and mm -hmm. kind of expanding, you know, the, the train system and things like that. And it's just thousands and thousands of um, about 5,000 unmarked mass grave sites mm -hmm. there. And so we visited that and it was such a humbling experience. Mm -hmm. And it's in a place that me, I've driven past so many times mm -hmm. being downtown or being uptown. And so it's just things like that that are the true history of Deep Ellum. And, mm -hmm. you know, just things that we just didn't know but are just staring us right in the face. And so we are learning about a lot about ourselves 
and we are hoping and we're we're expecting for this whole opportunity to really inform a lot of the work that we're going to continue in our district so we're excited we love it every month we go and we just cannot wait yeah Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like there are so many great things going on, and it sounds like you are the perfect person to help lead this charge. So, it, I don't know about perfect, but <laughs> I'm growing. I'm going to be reflective, and I'm going to be better. So, <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything else, Jeremy, that you would like to share today, or any other recommendations, or? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think one thing that, like I mentioned before, we had Dr. Holly in our district this past week. And one thing that he said towards the beginning is you cannot undergo or go through this work until you've had your moment of that light bulb moment. You know, that moment when you've you've recognized that not all students are are educated equitably, period. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's something that that was very deep for me. And so that's something that, you know, I ask listeners to kind of think about is, you know, what is that moment for you? And if you don't know that of that moment, then that's some work that needs to be done. And so, you know, that's something that going forward, we're going to talk about with staff um, because it's hard to start to address things like bias and mm-hmm. start to address things like classroom culture and things like that if we haven't first recognized that a problem exists. And so that was just something that I took away that was really profound for me. And so I just kind of want to share that out as well. So, yeah. And maybe that statement will be a light bulb mo- moment for somebody. Yeah. Yes. yeah perfect. So. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. So this season, we're inspired by one of Maya Angelou's quotes, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, you do better. When you get that light bulb moment, you do better. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Jeremy, for helping us know better and motivating us to do better. If others want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you? I say on Twitter, you can follow us at RISD underscore underscore equity, or you can follow me specifically at Ask. Jewett, A-S-K-J-E-W-I-T-T, on Twitter. So we're we're always on there. Great. What about Angie? Oh. And, and you can find Angie at Angelia Sharon. So it's A-N-G-E-L-I-A-S-H-A-R-O-N. So just look out for her as well. But if you follow our equity account, it's going to be, it's going to pop up. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you will continue these conversations with a colleague, share this episode with a friend, and reflect on your own beliefs. Continue to diversify your feed, explore the works shared, check out the show notes for additional resources we referred to today. And so we'll add all of those names you mentioned and all of those other links too. Awesome. If you want to continue the conversations or if you have additional questions or feedback, find us on Twitter at Dig Learn Radio. Thanks again, Jeremy. Thank you all for having me.